guess I should exhort a little bit again on tongues. I want to go to Judges 6 and talk about Gideon, and maybe we'll do that. I was teaching Albania today through a, a Zoom service. Uh, we've done it the last couple Wednesdays. I think I have one more. And uh, so Pastor Fatmir and Miss Silver there in Tirana, Albania, we were preaching for them. They're, they're spirit-filled. And so when we Zoom in, uh, they go through their regular midweek service and the, he exhorts, they worship for several songs and then he exhorts on offering and uh, you can pick up on a few things because you can hear English words and then they pray, then they introduce me and then I come on the jumbotron behind Dr. or behind Pastor uh, Fatmir and then he translates. But they were praying in tongues today and I got so tickled because here they are in Albania, an Eastern European country and their tongue sounds just like our tongues. You can't even make it up. It just sounds just like, I didn't know what in the world they were praying, but I said, that's tongues. It's not Albanian. It's tongues. It bears witness with you that that's my, that's my language. Those are my people. That's my tongue. That's, that's my people right there. Here they are, these beautiful Eastern Europeans, Romanian-looking, gypsy-looking, almost Turkish-looking, and Greek-looking, because that's the nature of where they come from. But when they pray in the language of the Spirit, that's my language. Those are my people. There's Albanian, Albanian, Albanian. Nope, they just switched over into tongues. And it was just the coolest thing. I even exhorted them on it that I said, I love that you pray in the Spirit, and it sounds like my church when we pray in the Spirit. It's the same when we've been to Iceland, or we've been to Ireland, or been to Europe, or uh, Africa, all over Africa. When they all go from their local, regional, uh, tribal tongues into tongues, it sounds just like our tongues. And it's the coolest thing in the whole world. Uh, the only I did share the story. There is the, the one time I was in Uganda and we were in the slums teaching and uh, it came time to give an altar call for the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And so me and Pastor Brett were laying hands on a bunch of people and uh, I was laying hands on this woman and she was praying in tongues. And I was like, man, that's it. She got it. That's it. But it just it just didn't have traction. It, it didn't ring like it was the Holy Ghost, but it was tongues to me. And then after I couldn't figure out what was wrong, but I could tell them in my spirit, something's not right. So I went and grabbed the pastor, Pastor uh, Suna, and I said, Kate, come here, judge this. Is this tongues or is this her tribal tongue? And he said, sister, pray. So she starts praying and he said, oh, no, no, this is her tribal tongue. And I went, oh, well, that's what I've been praying at home for the last year, which is why I thought it was tongues, because I've been praying apparently in Lugandan. And so I said, all right, well, that, don't pray in that language and don't pray in English. Just pray out of your heart. And then, boy, she hit it, and then there was tongues. But I thought, that's pretty cool. Her tongues, her native tongue was what my tongues had been for months back home, no doubt preparing for Uganda. But it, it sounded like tongues to me because it, it was exactly how I'd been praying. You know, you get used to what your own tongue sounds like unless you kick over into diverse kinds of tongues. And when you do that, then you just pray all over the place, usually in bursts, 15, 20, 30 minutes on some kind of special divine assignment from God. I really don't know how Christians who aren't spirit-filled get much done outside of their limited understanding. And there is, is the catch because Proverbs says, lean not to your own understanding. So then how in the world do you pray when you also have a commandment that says don't lean to your own understanding when if you don't pray in tongues, you're limited to praying to your own understanding. And that's great because we need to pray with our own understanding. We need to declare things in our own understanding. But there comes a time where we need to turn our own understanding off. Don't lean to it anymore and begin to pray in the spirit. I don't think there's any doctrine fought more passionately in the modern age than tongues because it is your first taste of the supernatural. I remember being a Baptist boy and being born again and being on a mission, went on a couple mission trips as Baptist um, and not ever really having any teaching on the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but I somehow knew it was of the devil. How do you, know, how do you absorb that kind of stupidity? You've heard me tell my story about, or stories about my friend Andrew the Hog Hunter, who he didn't even know who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was, didn't know who Job was, thought Job was an idiot. And when I asked him about tongues, he said, I heard that was of the devil. First time we talked about it, I said, you don't even know who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, and you've heard tongues is of the devil. Boy, that devil is so good at his propaganda. 
So I got spirit-filled at the age of 19 at a vineyard church in Knoxville. I had gotten hungry for God. I had absorbed as much of the New Testament as possible, and all it did was awaken a greater hunger in me for more of God. And it was amazing. I got hungrier for more of God. I got hungrier for more of God. And the hungrier I got for God, the closer it pulled me to Pentecostals. And I had been warned about those people by my Baptist upbringing. Those folks are dangerous. They're like all in a cult. They handle snakes. You know, I've been among Pentecostals now almost 30 years. I've never seen a single snake. And I've been in Pentecostal circles all over the world for 30 years. Turns out those denominational folks were just liars. Maybe they were the snake. Amen. So I got hungrier and hungrier. And the hungrier I got, the Lord just started sending charismatics to me and Pentecostals to me. And I could tell there was a distinction. This would always offend the denominational folks. There was something different between what I was coming from and these that had this Pentecostalism on them. There was a zeal. There was a boldness. There was a confidence. There was a courage. There was a knowing. There was this something they had. And I, I could tell as a 19-year-old that the folks I ran with had only gone so far, and they weren't ever going to be able to go further. And so the more I pressed into that, the more I kept bumping into this doctrine of tongues. And the, I began to run into more and more people who were tongue talkers. And it seems like everywhere I went, I would find out they were a secret tongue talker. And, and that guy, he just got spirit-filled last week, fell out in his, uh, his apartment, spoke in tongues. And, and then I go visit a church and turns out they're praying in tongues before the worship service. And there sounds like some kind of ritual seance in that room. And they come out and they worship the Lord with this glow on their face. But it starts to tweak with your mind. And you think, well, maybe where I was raised didn't know as much as they should have known. And maybe they could only go so far. But that would stand a reason if you've been given the third member of the Godhead, the third person of the Godhead in the New Testament. And when churches and denominations begin to slowly take a pen and mark out without any authority from the scriptures, everything Jesus Christ. Remember that guy? That person of the Godhead. Remember what he said about the Holy Spirit, his spirit that he would send in his name. There's an arrogance and a de demonic blindness when a Christian begins to, without authorization or any scriptural endorsement, take a pen and scratch out everything or almost everything the New Testament said the Holy Spirit would do in our new dispensation. And you begin to emasculate the Holy Spirit. You begin to cut him apart and amputate his power. So this is why I have said now for several years in Pentecostal circles, and again, Pentecostals have the worst doctrine. So we gotta, we got to judge ourselves where we're at. Charismatics are some of the squirreliest and weirdest people, but we do have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we just don't always know his Bible like we should. But there's a problem when you're a Trinitarian in theory only. And you begin to deny all the things that third person of the Godhead is said to want to do. And then you come up with all these weird theological gymnastics as to why he doesn't do that stuff anymore. Remember, he's the Lord God. He changes not. There's nothing in the New Testament that says tongues will cease in this dispensation. I know 1 Corinthians 13 very well. Where there be prophecy, it shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall cease. Are we saying knowledge is not already done away with? Are we saying prophecy's done away with when the revelation says the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? Are we willing to say prophecy or the testimony of Jesus is done away with? Where there be tongues, they shall cease. I know 1 Corinthians 13. That's the closest any theologian can come to trying to negate the 120 plus verses that build the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You think about a doctrine that has over 120 scriptures beginning in the Old Testament, established all the way into the book of Jude. The doctrine of baptism, water baptism, only has 21, 22 scriptures at most. The doctrine of communion only has 20, 21 scriptures at most. And for both communion and water baptism, most of those scriptures are repeated in the synoptic gospels. So it's the same story repeated multiple times. You have a doctrine called tongues that begins in Isaiah, burps up in Mark, 
comes heavily through John chapter 4, John chapter 7, John chapter 21, and then hits Acts 1, Acts 8, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and then Jude. There's a lot of scripture there, and you're going to take 1 Corinthians 13, one verse, and turn the whole thing off? You're a theological fool. Well, I just don't think tongues is important. What spirit are you listening to? My father's in the faith, and I'm honored to have had all of them, several. Some of them are in heaven now. We're all tongue talkers. And you get around them in prayer, and they pray in tongues. Pastor Okwokwo would pray for seven and eight hours a day when he was alive and ministering for us. He would take no food except for maybe some tea. He would come out maybe to say hello, use the restroom, then go back to the guest bedroom, and you just hear him in there praying in the spirit crying out to God. That's a man that raised over 14 people from the dead in Nigeria after the Biafran Civil War. I never heard him say something as stupid as, I don't think tongues is important. You're going to tell a man that raised 14 plus people from the dead that tongues is not necessary. What have you done for God? What is the caliber of your life? What is the measure of your walk with Christ? Amen. What spirit are you listening to that is talking you out of the Trinitarian doctrine? I mean, isn't it a foolish thing to have come through Pentecost to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and then to let these things slip? Remember, Hebrews condemns that. Let us be mindful lest at any time we let these things slip. So there is a giant movement in the earth to get Pentecostals to denounce the Holy Spirit. The Assemblies of God is splitting right now because the young generation, my generation, my age of preacher is embarrassed of the Holy Ghost because it doesn't build a megachurch. Well, who do you want showing up? A bunch of pagans sleeping around with your people or the Holy Ghost? I don't need pagans sleeping around to make heaven. I do need the Holy Ghost. So I'd rather have five people in the Holy Spirit than 5,000 in devils. So most of us came out of denominations into Pentecost, and this is what we were looking for. Now, Pentecostalism has its issues, and I harp on them. I'm an equal opportunity abuser. (laughs) I abuse sin. I abuse dumb culture. People only ever get offended when I'm abusing their culture. So you can tell where your idol is. About the only guy that doesn't get offended at me is the dumb redneck. Because I, you know, I'll just deconstruct every stupid culture in our nation. But only the, you know, the middle class white woman gets offended. The black person gets offended. You know, the 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 woke social justice warrior gets offended. The feminist gets offended. But that dumb redneck will go, man, that's true. That's real true. Ain't got a point, man. We is dumb and lazy. Yeah, we're we're lazy. I must say, as an American, white men are the hardest to offend. And I think it's just because we're just too lazy to even care. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, too. It just takes too much energy to care. I'd just rather stay home and do nothing. <laughs> so we've got this Pentecostal thing. Why would we let it slip? We were looking for this. Why would we let the devil talk us out of it? I mean, how do you explain people who don't know anything about God, but what they have heard about God is tongues, and tongues is of the devil? It's pretty wild to think about. But we know the devil hates it because when we pray in the Spirit, we declare the wonderful works of God. We know that when we pray in the Spirit, we give thanks well. We know that when we pray in the Spirit, we build ourselves up. We know that when we pray in the Spirit... I think the most important thing is we declare mysteries. That may be, to me, in the season we're in, they're all important. There's eight things you do when you pray in tongues, according to the New Testament. The most important would seem to be to pray out mysteries because the rest of your life is a mystery and you're never going to find it praying in English or whatever your first language is. 
because your understanding is grossly limited. We know that. We, we, the best we can know is in part. The best we can prophesy is a part. So even with knowledge and prophecy, we still just got parts. But with tongues, we have mysteries that can be prayed out and brought into reality. We know that it can't come to pass if it isn't first prayed out. John Wesley famously made the observation, it seems as though God can do nothing until his people first pray. That offends the sovereigntists and the determinists because it means that God is limited. Well, let me ask you, if God is unlimited, why isn't he doing more in your life? I understand God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. But is he those things in your life? He is all those things, but you have a thing called a will that is a governor that limits his ability. So when we pray these things out, especially in the spirit, we get places we couldn't get in our own understanding. We start to understand things we couldn't understand in our own understanding. We begin to set up a divine appointments we could not get on our own. There's many times if you'll pray in advance, you'll sit down in places and you'll say, I've been here before because you have been in the spirit in prayer. I feel like I've met this person before because you have in the spirit in prayer. You're, de you're declaring the mysteries of God that you don't even still need to know today, but the second you walk into them, you'll say, it feels like I've been here before because you have been in prayer. You hear lots of stories from missionaries when they get to the country God called them to, they'll say, it feels like I'm home. Absolutely, this is where you were destined to be. Their heart instantly knits with that place, that city, that country they were called to, especially when they prayed it out in the spirit in advance. So you just need to be alerted to the fact that there is a great movement to get you and I to let go of tongues. Now, please hear this from me, your pastor, because my notes are, well, I don't have notes, but my sermon tonight is Joshua, excuse me, Judges 6 and Gideon. But here we are exhorting again on tongues like we did last Wednesday night. So don't be the fool that lets this precious gift slip. Pray in tongues all the more. Pray in the spirit. Pray with your understanding. Pray without your understanding and accomplish things. I've told the story from time to time. Uh, years, I see Jeff back there, which is what made me think of it. 25, 26 years ago when we were in college and a bunch of us came here as college kids, we'd spend Friday nights and Saturday nights in prayer. We'd pray for three and four hours at a time. And... There was a time it was me and Jeff and Mark. I think it was just the three of us. And we were praying at Jeff and Mark's apartment, which was over there off of like 4th Avenue or something over there in the projects. And we're kind of winding down our prayer. And we're just 19, 20, 21 year old kids praying in tongues. And we get real quiet and Jeff's still praying in tongues, but he's, he's just kind of quietly praying under his breath. But he starts praying in Japanese. And as he's praying in the spirit in Japanese, I understand what he's saying. I was only a year or two removed from Seattle in the vegetable farm, so my Japanese was very tight. It was very fluent, as fluent as could be. So I understand him perfectly. And the trippiest thing is what he kept saying in Japanese, which according to 1 Corinthians 14 is he's praying without his understanding the thing he keeps saying over and over again in Japanese is, yes, sir, I understand that, and I'll do it. <laughs> yes, sir, I understand that, and I'll do it. And he's praying, because Japanese is a very formal language where you, have, you, you conjugate your verbs, whether you're talking to someone below you, someone equal to you, or someone above you. And he was talking as though he's talking to somebody above him, like you would address your sensei or your emperor. And that's how he's praying in the spirit. He isn't conjugating verbs like we're equal. Like we're buddy, buddy, like I am a friend of God. He is honestly, he is saying as though he's talking to his sensei, his boss or his emperor. Yes, sir. I understand you and I'll obey you. I'll do that. So. Imagine how the Holy Ghost takes his tongues and makes him talk like he's talking to the King of Kings. So we get done and I say, Jeff, yeah. You speak Japanese? 
And Jeff said, Chris, I'm from Watertown. I barely speak English. I remember him saying that. I got so tickled. Like, yeah, I didn't think you did. Fair enough. I said, well, you were just praying in tongues. You're praying in Japanese. Where I was, what was I saying? You were saying, yes, sir, I understand. I'll do that. Because he's praying out mysteries. And even what he's processing, though it's not being declared fully in Japanese, he has the download, for, for lack of a better term. He gets it. Now, why? If he didn't pray in tongues, he would never be able to get the download, so to say, or be able to communicate to the Lord, yes, sir, I'll obey you. Think about that. He's praying in the Spirit, and he's declaring his obedience and his consecration to his God. And you're going to let a demon talk you out of that? You're going to let intellectualism talk you out of that. I will remind you of the words of your Savior. He told his apostles, it is better that I leave you. King James says more expedient. Because if I don't, I can't send the comforter who is the Holy Ghost. The whole reason Jesus left us was so he could pour out his spirit upon all flesh and we could receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And as a good Pentecostal, you know, in all of your instances in Acts, the evidence was always speaking in other tongues. 2, 8, 10, and 19. They all spoke with other tongues. And then Paul comes along in 12, Corinthians 12, and says, I would that you all spoke with tongues. And then he said, I'm glad to speak in tongues more than you all. So if there, I just don't believe it's for everybody. Then you don't study your Bible along this subject. You're probably also hung up on the interpretation thing. 120 plus verses and three mentions of interpretation, and none of them are demonstrated in the book of Acts. So you've got to sort all that out. So please stop listening to that familiar spirit because that's what it is. Because in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have a gift from God that will allow you, it'll give you the opportunity to finish your race. I'm going to say it again. You can't convince me otherwise unless you got scripture for it. I don't think it's possible to run your race to the completion without praying in the spirit. I don't see how. Because it does not yet appear what we shall become, which means even today for me as a preacher, I don't know what next year holds. I have plans. I have things I feel good about today, but things could totally change. I have no idea what the next 10 years holds, but I can pray in the spirit and pray out mysteries and begin to line things up to make sure I stay where I need to stay. If all I'm left with is my native tongue and my own understanding, I can very easily shipwreck my life and do so in the name of Jesus with the best of intentions, but limited to my own understanding. How can I pray 10 years out when I can only barely understand what's going to happen tomorrow? Yes, there's the prayer of consecration and the prayer of dedication it says, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But wouldn't it be nice to have this kind of gift, this kind of prayer language that allows you to pray out mysteries unspoken things according to the Greek language. And yet when you pray them out, they become spoken. That lines up with Job. You declare a thing, it shall be established. How much more when you are declaring a thing by the wisdom of the Holy Ghost. And you declare this thing, it is established. And when it comes time to make that decision, it's just the smoothest transition because you've already been praying it out in the spirit. What happens if you are spirit filled, but you neglect the gift? It's just as good as not having the gift at all. That's why when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we ought to pray in tongues every day. We ought, to, we ought to pray in tongues more than you all. Dr. Jacob says, pray in the Spirit more than you think you can. Find opportunity to pray in the Spirit 20, 30 minutes a day. An hour a day. Get up a little bit earlier. The more you're going through, the more decisions you have to make, the more you should pray in the Spirit. Lots of times when I pray in the Spirit, when I'm transitioning a service, it's to find the direction because I've got stuff lined up, but all of a sudden I recognize it's not going to fit. So when I pray in the spirit and then all the folks who are ignorant of this doctrine because they don't have it and they don't participate in it. So they're mere theorists. They want to demand an interpretation. You should have an interpretation. The whole course of the service is the interpretation. <laughs> Do you not understand the difference between the translation and interpretation? I'm going to give you the interpretation. I was going to zig. Now we're going to zag. That's the interpretation. That's all you need to know. How do you know I'm not preaching what I was praying? Because I didn't say, bum, 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 bum. my people, my people, thus saith the Lord. 
Which there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, after like 50 years of Christian television, it's gotten a little bit, you know, I might as well have a top hat and little tails on my coat and a little burp, 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 burp. And the best award to the best actor goes to evangelist, prophet, bishop, sister, Madam Cleo. Yeah, just give the interpretation. All right, so don't let this doctrine slip. Pray in tongues. More, more, and more, and more, and more. Just get in the Spirit. Give yourself 20, 30 minutes without your phone anywhere near you. And just pray in tongues. And just walk around so you don't fall asleep. Just pace back and forth. Don't sit down. You'll fall asleep. Some of you have mastered the art of sleeping sitting up. And I guess I'm your training ground. <laughs> walk and just practice praying in the Spirit. Practice getting down in your spirit and praying out the mysteries of God because there's a big difference between praying in the spirit and you're in your head and then dropping down and hitting that gusher or that, I call it engaging in four-wheel drive and stump busting, you know? You know, you can be in your head and you just like drive over stumps or you can slow down, wrap a chain around that stump, put it in four-wheel low and just start pulling stumps. And the difference is that there's a big difference between my first tongues, which I have to stay in my head to stay in, or dropping down here and being able to get into diverse kinds of tongues. There's a big difference. And maybe you are being tempted to quit because you've never really learned how to get down into your spirit, man, to pull stumps. So you think it's frivolous. Well, that's not God's fault. It's not the Bible's fault. It may just be a lack of diligence in seeking God. Sure, and I don't know if that offends you or not. Get after it. What else can be taken from that? But just do better. Nobody in this room and nobody in the kingdom can say, I've done the best I could do for God. So we must all agree I can do better. I can pray a little more. I can study a little fervent. I can share my faith with one more person. I could give a little bit more in the next offering. I could be a little bit more joyful when I came to church. I mean, some of you could really work on that. <laughs> yeah. But none of us can say I've done all I could possibly ever do because we'll never be able to say that. So we keep seeking God for more. Two more points, and then I'm going to see if I can hammer Gideon into a round hole. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. The Greek would read, Therefore we ought to be more fervently addicted to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them drift away or leak out like a cracked vessel. Uh, the, I like the word picture because it's a double word picture in the Greek. I like the word picture of drifting away because it's the image of a boat that was tied to its moorings at a dock. I think we've all seen a boat tied to its moorings at a dock, and you can envision how you just undo the rope and just toss it over, and for the first couple minutes, that boat won't go anywhere. But you know you can turn around on the dock and begin to sort things out, and you wouldn't be surprised to look back around and that boat's three feet away. And you think in your mind, well, I can reach over and grab it, pull it back so I won't do anything right. Turn back around and you get to working on the dock. And you know that the next time you turn around, it may be 15 feet away. And now you can't get a hold of it again. That's the word picture here concerning the doctrines of Christ. That if we're not careful, if we don't addict ourselves to the things God has given us, we're going to let them slip away through just foolish negligence. And we don't want to do that. We want to make sure we addict ourselves to it. The other word picture is that it, we slip, it slips through our hands like uh, leaking vessels, which when a vessel leaks, you can't really tell where it's leaking from. You know, it's wet. It's wet around the bottom and you're not really sure. So you put the cup back down and, and you wipe it. And you're like, well, maybe it was just condensation. You put the cup back down, you turn the back, come back, and there's another pool of water. And then you begin to realize there's a slight crack somewhere in this vessel. And before long, you've lost everything in it. This verse warns us that we can let go of doctrines. We can lose them. 
We once believed in him, but we don't anymore. We want to make sure we don't do that with something as vital as Pentecost. Now, there is a lie in the earth. Now, there's a thing. There are, are neo-Calvinists. There are uh, spirit-filled Calvinists, so that's not an issue. There, there's a neo-cessationism. Cessationism is the doctrine that the gifts of the Spirit are done away with. There's a renewed effort to mock the gifts of the Spirit and to mock and denigrate them because if you're not in constant fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be caught up with another spirit. It's possible to study the Bible and come to Marxist conclusions because you have a different demon interpreting the Bible for you. We double down on the Holy Spirit that we might interpret the more sure word from the Bible. If we're not in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then every wind of doctrine can come along and begin to move us. When you divorce yourself from the Holy Spirit, you compromise or you, you divorce yourself from all ability to discern. Because he is the spirit of truth. How could we ever possibly divorce ourselves from the spirit of truth? Well, I just don't believe tongues is for everybody. You don't know your Bible. Well, I don't believe it's important. You don't know your Bible. I don't think it's that critical. You don't know your Bible. You're already beginning to call Jesus Christ a liar. So what spirit are you of? I would repent very quickly. Peter said, this gift is for you and for your children, as many as are far off, as many as the Lord God shall call. What's the gift? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Spirit. For this gift is for you. And everybody throughout all of Acts, everybody present in those services got the Holy Ghost. So turn off whatever you're watching. Spend more time in your Bible. Did you know the Bible doesn't change? We don't deconstruct it like you do everything else in life. It's not hard to learn. It's written at an eighth grade level. And nowadays it's like a freshman in college level. Used to be it was an eighth grade level. I think it used to be it was a fourth grade level. The levels have changed. The Bible has not. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. He's slowly trying to get us to denial, denounce the doctrines. I've made this argument many times before of our core doctrines. How many of them can you scratch off and say, I don't believe anymore before you compromise your eternity? Having been genuinely born again, having been genuinely spirit filled, having been genuinely fruitful, bearing fruit, and then all of a sudden you begin to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and one by one, they won't attack your faith like a freight train, they'll attack your faith like termites. And they begin to hollow out what you believe. Well, I don't really think tongues is important. You used to believe everybody needed it. So there's one. I don't think you have to believe in tongues to go to heaven, not at all. I don't, I don't really think the Holy Spirit's that important, you might say. Well, that's the next domino to fall. Well, you know, if the Holy Spirit's not that important, maybe we can't trust these scriptures. I mean, they're still good, and there's still morality, and, and, you know, there's some good stuff in there. And yeah, they built Western civilization. They gave us a moral code. And there's another doctrine to fall. But you know what? If these scriptures aren't real, then maybe this guy, Jesus, maybe he was just a good guy that taught some good things. Now you belong like, you sound like you belong on CNN. You sound like you should be lecturing at a TED Talk. You sound like you should be a professor. And yet you used to espouse all of those and be fervent. What happened? You did run well. Who did hinder you? No, here's the deal. I know what I have believed. I have not followed cunningly devised fables. I will not allow our church to start clicking off core doctrines that built this church because they're not popular anymore. We're going to pray in tongues more than we ever have. We'll lay hands on the sick. We'll cast out devils more than we ever have because that's New Testament. I care nothing. All these churches falling into drinking and sexual sin, they have one thing in common, smoke machines and light shows trampy worship leaders and tattoos and piercings. I know what spirit that's of. I've been preaching against it for 15 years and I've been called legalistic over it. And now the hens have come home to roost. All we have to do to finish our race is just not be anything like that. And they, by the way, were compromising tongues and wouldn't preach about it, talk about it. 
So you're, you're compromising tongues. You are spirit-filled. You used to pray in the spirit. Now you're starting to sound like some of these churches and these ministries that have gone apostate. Carlton Pearson. Was Oral Roberts called Oral Roberts' black son? Tremendous preacher. I've been on the front row in one of his meetings. There was these black ladies behind me in that meeting. And very nice ladies. They're like, psst, psst, boy, boy, psst, psst. Yes, ma'am. Could, could you take a picture of Carlton Pearson for me? And so they had this, this was 25 years ago, so it wasn't like a subtle phone. They hand me this big thing. And so they're really sweet ladies, but they were, you could tell they were Carlton Pearson groupies. They loved Bishop Carlton Pearson. Some of you don't know who that was, and that's all right. Tremendous singer, tremendous preacher, tremendous man of faith. So I heard, I still remember his message was be who you were, who God called you to be. Just add the anointing. That was the whole message. And it was wonderful. So I get the camera and he's, you know, he's as close to me as I am to pastor Caleb there on the front row. And I get the camera like this. <laughs> and as he's preaching, he goes, and he looks right at me and I'm like, ha, ha. <laughs> I don't know what the black ladies did. I'm sure they're like, they should come. In those days, he was single, and everybody wanted to marry that man. Today, he's an apostate, denies hell, says everybody's going to heaven, and has a homosexual church. And he was Oral Roberts' black son. He was heir apparent to ORU. And now he's a heretic. But it started by clicking off doctrines one at a time. And when you click one, it's easy to click the next two or three and the next four, five, six, seven. Before long, you're still preaching from the Bible. You're still praying in the spirit. You just deny everything. So then what spirit are you really praying in? Amen. So those things that we've been given, and to be honest, I, I was raised Southern Baptist. My dad's a Methodist. My mama was a Southern Baptist preacher's kid. I was raised Southern Baptist, got born again a Southern Baptist. Then I went to Seattle. I got among a covenant, a church called a covenant denomination, evangelical Lutheran. I was among them. Then I came back, came to college, got among the Baptists again. I've been among denominations in all sorts of flavors. Pentecost is a promotion forward because there's the power of the Holy Ghost. There isn't Trinitarian doctrine, uh, a theory, it's Trinitarian application. So to go backwards from that is a demotion and it violates Hebrews because we're not of those that draw back. We don't start deconstructing our faith and denying the Holy Ghost and denying the power of God and denying the gifts of the Spirit and the laying on of hands. All those things contained within the Great Commission. Why would we denounce that? But there's a spirit in the earth to do it. And if I'm teaching on it, it must be talking to some of you. I don't know who you are because I had some really good things to say about Gideon and his desire to see revival and overcoming his lived experience. So judge yourself. If you were ever spirit-filled, jumpstart that thing. Pray in tongues. Me coming to Pentecost was the answer to a heart's cry as an 18-year-old for more of God. I was backslidden at 18. I was angry at God because he seemed so far away. And when I repented and got back right with him and began to seek him, it thrust me into Pentecostalism. It would not leave me in my Baptist roots. And I'm not against Baptists. I recommend our, my Baptist church friends to a lot of folks that come here because we're just not where they need to be because they're good people and they love God. They fear God and they're clean and holy. Now, the denomination is not, not at the national level, but the local guys, they'll die for God's people. But... My hunger for God catapulted me past my Baptist upbringing and landed me among Pentecostalism. So how could I ever go back? How could my hunger? Well, the only way I could go back is I'm just not hungry anymore. I've had my fill. I don't need God anymore. Don't need that third person of the Godhead that Jesus left me with. I'm good. All done. Full. Good. How, how could I ever be that way? That is subtle Christ denial. Now, if you didn't know, Christ is the Greek word for anointing. The word Christ means the anointing. So when you start denying the Holy Spirit, you're denying the Christ. If you didn't know, that's part of the Trinitarian doctrine. They are one God. So when you deny the Holy Spirit, you're denying the Lord Jesus and the Father. 
So if we've come further than our denominational brothers and sisters, though we're not better than them, they have things we need that we don't have. But in this regard, if we've obtained this, why would we let it slip? Except we're yielding to either carnality or a demon. There's only two options. Well, I'm deconstructing. No, no, that's a demon. Well, I've just been reevaluating. You, you, you weren't reevaluating when you were on fire for God. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with questioning the faith. No, no, we've test, touched and tasted and handled the word of God. We're convinced of this. You can't talk me out of this. I don't need to deconstruct or reevaluate anything. The more I study the Bible, the more I just want to double down on all of it. <laughs> like... What Billy Graham said, one of his preaching buddies went to Princeton, got a THD and got stupid. And evolution was being taught rapidly. This is in the 50s. And came back and he told Billy Graham, he said, haven't you heard about this thing of evolution? He said, I've heard about it. Well, don't you know it makes us look stupid when we preach against evolution? He said, I don't know what to tell you. He said, I just know that when I preach this gospel, God comes with mighty power. He basically told his friend, I don't know about science and I don't care. I just know when I preach this book, God shows up in these crusades. And why would I leave God to chase a monkey? I have a degree in geology and I've been a geologist for 24 years now. I don't have all answers. I don't need them. Well, where did that snail come from? I don't care. Out from under a rock as far as I'm concerned. All you need to know is that salt kills them and they're nasty when you step on them barefooted. <laughs> I don't have all answers and I don't need them. Childlike faith. That just says, Lord, whatever you want. Now let me show you a verse in Acts real quick. I just don't think this is for everybody. You are a biblical ignoramus. Why do you call names so much? Because I'm judgy and I have a vocabulary. And I don't have a mercy gift. I have a discipleship gift. Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, that's the whole multitude, who he just said, hey, you guys killed Christ. It's your fault. Bunch of pagans. 120 guys, men and women on a rooftop surrounded by a mob. And he just tells them, you guys killed Jesus. It's all your fault because you didn't know God, the Christ, the Holy One. I mean, he's just bold as a lion. 50 days prior, he was a coward in front of a 13-year-old girl at a campfire. And now he's telling this whole angry mob, you killed Christ. You're going to kill me too? So what's what, that's what the Holy Ghost will do in your soul. What was the difference between 50 days prior and this preaching right here? Pentecost. Holy Ghost came on him. He said, Woo, I get to redeem myself. He's probably looking for that girl. I repent for being a coward, but you're going to hell without this Jesus. All the rest of you are going to hell too. Verse 38. Then said Peter said unto them, that's the whole multitude surrounded around the upper room. Repent, not God wants to be good to you. Jesus has a plan for you. He's going to be good to you. You guys like, well, the, you guys like a Thursday? Because that's like their Friday because of the Sabbath, you know. You, every day a Thursday. <laughs> he wants to be your friend. No, no. He says, repent. He commands the whole city. Repent. Which means they're, to say the word repent says you're all guilty and going to hell. You don't ask people right with God to repent. You tell the condemned, repent. The word is an offensive word in one sermon. We don't even hardly use it in our circles because we're too busy trying to be grace-filled. Whatever. You don't know your Bible or the doctrine of grace. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, that is the gift of the Holy Ghost, is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this wicked generation. Uh, untoward in the Greek means sick and stupid culture. 
And what's the Greek word? Scolios, where we get scoliosis. Crooked, twisted, untoward, that's King James, crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair. One translation says, save yourselves from this sick and stupid culture. You'd have thought he was preaching to America on a college campus. Save yourselves from this sick and stupid culture. The, the gift of the Holy Ghost is for everybody, and we don't divorce ourselves from it. Go to Timothy. Let me show you another verse, because I guess by, based on this exhortation and preaching, this is where some of you are. Don't, I don't want you to be here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Real quick, then we're going to wrap it up here. I guess we're not going to touch on Gideon tonight. We'll save it for next Wednesday, unless we have to exhort on the baptism of the Holy Ghost again. Oh, makes me want to go pray in tongues more. Yeah. It's a good thing when it comes out of you when you're in trouble or in pain. And tongues just comes out of you. Schmidt and I were backpacking last week, and I was tending the campfire, and I accidentally grabbed the end of the stick that had been in the fire, so I grabbed the hot coal, and Jesus came out of my mouth. I'm so proud it wasn't anything else. <laughs> it almost felt like the guy off of Indiana Jones when he grabs the medallion. I went and checked my hand to make sure I wasn't going to just lose a whole bunch of skin. But I grabbed that hot end of the stick with the white ashy coals right there. But I went, Jesus, have mercy. And Schmitty said, yep, that's the hot end. <laughs> you must be an engineer. The answer was accurate and useless. <laughs> Second Timothy 3, 1. This know also that in the last days, perilous or a loss of strength shall come. Isn't it interesting? The Greek also means a loss of strength when the church should be very strong. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. That word in the Greek means self-kissing. One great minister, Rick Renner, said, that's the selfie today. All these folks taking pictures of themselves and throwing a thousand filters to find love. Men and women shall be self-kissing. That's the fish face, duck face, selfie. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. All these are things that will strip you of power. Unholy, without natural affection, that means without natural human, uh, human compassion. Uh, one translation is heartless, or we would say you just love the wrong thing. I would call it animal idolatry. You know, when you have a fur baby, that is without natural affection. When you love an animal more than a human, you are without natural affection. When you'd rather save the whales and save the babies... You're without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That means no self-control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, tra traitors, heady, uh, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the miracle power thereof. From such turn away. Here's another word for excommunication. It's real, it gets to be real hard for a pastor when the people, some of the people you pastor are in this list regularly. So let me break down verse 5, and then we're going to pray and figure out what, if anything else we need to do. Having a form of godliness, but denying the dunamis. That's the word power. Dunamis, miracle power, healing power, miraculous power. The word deny there doesn't mean deny like we understand deny today, where we just deny its existence or reject it as true. The word deny there means to repudiate or to divorce. So there is that element when we deny something, we, we speak against it and we say, nope, it's not for me. We deny it. You come to my door and I deny you to turn away. So in the Greek, there is this element in the translation that is divorce. 
So this gives us a list of things that we do in our life that inadvertently divorce us from power. But when you start just like purposely divorcing the Holy Ghost, that's sawing off the limb you're standing on. I would almost predict or diagnose the reason you divorce yourself from the Holy Spirit is because he makes you miserable. Because to try to have a walk with God and stay dirty, the Holy Ghost is just going to sit there and smack you left and right. Just like if I try to have fellowship with my wife, but I've been mean to her and I haven't repented, the Holy Ghost is going to make me miserable. So sometimes it's just easier if we deny the Holy Spirit so we don't have to have a conscience anymore. And one thing about Pentecostals, when you pray in tongues, that Holy Ghost will smack you around something fierce. So let me ask you, are you wanting to deny the Holy Spirit because he's making you uncomfortable? He's convicting you and you just want to go ahead and sear your conscience and sin and march on? Because if you want to, you can do that. And it's the first step towards Christ's denial. You'll, sed- you'll give heed to a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devils, and you'll sear your conscience as with a hot iron. The next step is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And you're already in the process of doing that. You will always have a spirit speaking into your life, and you control what spirit that is. There are many voices in the earth. You regulate what they are. May it be the Holy Spirit in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. The Bible concludes here, from such turn away. From such turn away. In the footnote of my Bible that I wrote, I said 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, which is the verse we just read for the offering. From such turn away. He says, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. This verse says, anybody that starts divorcing themselves from the power of God walk away from them. So what happens in the local church is I, as the pastor, any good pastor, we just double down on the Holy Ghost, preach an exhortation like this and just say, listen, if you don't want to speak in tongues, that's all right, but we're going to. And just know you're missing out. And what will happen is you'll become more and more uncomfortable in the presence of a holy God as you sear yourself more and more and more.